Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Copyright 2.0 Show. My name is Jonathan Bailey, and I am not an attorney, but I am a copyright blogger at Plagiarism Today, which can be found at PlagiarismToday.com. My name is Evan Sherris, and I am an attorney. The opinions I express, however, are intended to be general commentary and are not legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is formed, nor should any such relationship be implied. If you require legal advice, please consult with an attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. And hello, everyone, and welcome to the Copyright 2.0 Show, episode number 369. No childish snickering, please, in the peanut gallery. We are mature adults here. My name is Jonathan Bailey. I am from the website Plagiarism Today, which can be found at plagiarismtoday.com. And joining me, as usual, the karaoke master himself, Evan Sherez. Evan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, John. It's a beautiful day. You know, excited to talk some copyright, some exciting stories. How about you? Yes. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. I uh, had a good uh, Labor Day off. Uh, not mostly off, I should say. No day is ever completely off, but, you know, mostly off. And really enjoyed um, sort of taking an easier week of it. But now it's back into the thick of things. Lots going on, lots to do, projects to finish. And Halloween to prepare for here. Haunted Housework has begun full swing. Wow. You know what? I do remember hearing about that. Does that mean that I've been doing this for a year now? Is that possible? I- I don't think it's been a year. I think it's. Uh, I think I might have mentioned it a few times before. I don't think we're at a year yet, though. I, w- I would check on that. I think we might. It might be coming up. Yeah, it might, it might be coming up. Yes. But yeah, so we are working out in the garage and basically staying busy, staying really, really busy. We got. But I got to say, on copyright front, we have a lot going on this week. Mm-hmm. A very uh, interesting result. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, well, we should probably should jump in. And start right off with the big news that was announced just today. The Zune Marketplace is closing forever. Um, those of you still using Zunes will no longer have access to your um, Zune streaming service. Therefore, the Copyright 2.0 show is closed. Good night, everybody. Um, <laughs> very exciting. Very exciting news. Yes, that actually is true, though. That actually is 100% true. I didn't know yeah. that was still a thing. Uh, yeah, apparently they ran like this uh, Spotify-like service where you could download all the tracks you want and even like get ten a month to keep. And it's really weird. I actually looked it up. The Zoom launched in 2006, the year after Plagiarism Today. It was pulled for retail sale in 2008 and formally discontinued in 2012. It languished for four years, and just now in late 2015 is it finally the 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 back end of it finally going away. But no, have no fear, those of you on your Zoom. Uh, plan you can be ported over to Groove, which apparently is their music streaming service at my, my music streaming service at Microsoft. So 
No need to fear for the four yes. of you that are still left. Not now that that important announcement is out of the way. Oh yeah. No, uh, really I thought you were going to talk about the year that the, the exciting thing was what the Ninth Circuit had to say today. Oh, we we will talk about the Ninth Circuit in just a moment. We'll also be talking about Sharebeast, the site I was surprisingly only marginally familiar with, um, and its recent fate. Uh, more news on Oregon and Oracle and their very very alliterative legal dispute. Haha, alliterative, that's a $5 word right there. <clears throat> um, the New Girl lawsuit being brought to a halt. Uh, Playboy uh, bringing a, uh, I don't know how I shut that, Playboy, like that's going to get the listener's attention. Playboy in a legal dispute with a uh, media, it's like called Media Takeout. Um, EMI taking an interesting approach to sampling. And then two sort of, Bizarre cases involving Getty Images, one involving the Hacker Magazine 2600 and another involving one of the favorite memes of all time, the socially awkward penguin. So a, a double header of Getty Images news coming up at the end of this show. So stay tuned or fast forward if you're not watching live. If you are watching live, okay, Getty Images. No, that's not how this works. Um, but yeah, so Ninth Circuit, we definitely have to talk about this. This case is... An interesting one, and the result today, I don't, I think it's being blown out of proportion, but it's still very interesting nonetheless. Yeah, this is one of the bigger cases that are, that's still around. You know, I wouldn't dare say the biggest, because that's the Blurred Line case, and mm-hmm. I think that the Blurred Line case will be the biggest oh, yes. one until the, until the next biggest. Shattered. But this one has been on most law professors and law students' radars as a, a very philosophical battle, I, would, I dare say. It's about uh, fair use and... Uh, whether it's really an affirmative defense or is it really a right? Is it is it as the debate would uh, would center around? Is it is it excused use or is it authorized use? And so this is one of these cases uh, that really you know puts the copyleft and copyright uh, against each other. Right, and the case actually centers around a twenty nine second video. Which, have you actually seen the Lens video at some point? I have. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's not exactly lengthy viewing, as I just pointed out. I don't see why you wouldn't have. Um, but it features Stephanie Lenz's then 13-month-old, almost a 13-year-old, 13-month-old baby, who would now, by the way, I believe be in, like, fourth grade, <laughs> um, dancing to the print song Let's Go Crazy, playing in the background. By the way, I've listened to it. I can't hear the freaking song. I'm just saying... The audio and the video both are atrocious quality. Well, it it's was taken 2007, on a... though. It's not like I'm picking on her. I mean, it was the best technology 2007 provided. It was just a home video camera. You know, this is not a professional uh, oh, video. Yeah. This was something that, you know, a mother taped of their, their kid you know. doing something cute and eventually wanted to share with her friends, so she put it on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. It's what you did in 2007, apparently. That's right. And apparently, if you're a universal music, what you did in 2007 was file a DMCA notice against this video. Because apparently in the description, because we all know that audio the matching technology wasn't around, there wasn't content ID in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, the description mentioned the song Let's Go Crazy. They felt that it was somehow the focus of the video. They filed a DMCA notice. The video came down. Uh, Lens sought help from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a.k.a. the EFF, and others. They filed a counter notice and got it restored after a period of about, I think it was six weeks or two months or something like that. I've heard varying numbers on how long it was actually down. 
and the result and then they filed a lawsuit against Universal for a filing a false takedown notice that has since dragged on for eight years. Right. Eight years of litigation over a 29-second clip. So the lawsuit center, uh, centers around, and I think we've discussed this in the past, it's Section 512F. It's called uh, misrepresentations. So this is within the DMCA takedown systems that says that any person who knowingly materially misrepresents under the section that the material or activity is infringing um, or that the material or activity was removed or disabled by mistake or misidentification uh, can be liable for damages. Correct. That's right. Yeah, and it's interesting because there was a case in 2004, the, the Rossi case, as it was called, because it was Rossi versus the MPAA. They found that the um, this mess, mess, blah, 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 this good faith, which is basically the, when you file a good notice, you have to swear to a good faith understanding that this isn't a copyright infringement. They determined that the good faith is a subjective, not an objective good right. faith. Meaning good faith, a subjective <coughs> good faith is in their brain space, in between their ears, they genuinely believed it was a copyright infringement versus an objective one, which looks at your actions and what you did. So, uh, the case ended up having two issues, or it has two issues at this point. The first one centered around this concept of infringing use. So, yeah. if there's fair use... It, does it, is it still infringing? Well, you know, in court, fair use is an affirmative defense to copyright infringement, which means that, you know, you have to, there is an infringing work and then it's excused because you've shown uh, your affirmative defense. Uh, so what's your interpretation of the term infringing here? Uh, if there is fair use, does that mean it's not infringing or does that mean it's excused infringing? So there's this philosophical debate around it, and, and, and people have been talking about fair use as to whether it's authorized or excused behavior. And that's kind of the first issue, and that relates to this case, obviously, by uh, arguing that if you're, if you're going to say that this was fair use, that means it wasn't infringing, uh, which means that this is a misrepresentation. You've misrepresented that this is uh, infringing material, and therefore you should owe me damages for that. And then the second one was that if you know you're wrong about that, you do have to consider fair use because if it's fair use, then it's not infringing. Well, then was there this good faith, subjective uh, point of view on behalf of uh, on behalf of Universal when they sent this takedown request? Yeah, and that's where things get a little sticky, is because where the court where the court ruled here basically is that, yes, you do have to consider fair use before filing a DMCA takedown notice. Now, the court stopped short, though, of saying Universal had failed to do that. One of the judges on the panel actually wanted to do that, but the other two sort of, hey, hold on there, buddy, because Universal did admit they never directly considered fair use when filing this takedown notice. Right, so but, that first point, though, is important to, to pause on for a minute, okay, that's because... Uh, you know, them saying that for the purposes of the DMCA, fair use is a statutory non-infringing use, is, it's a big deal. They went to the legislative history, they talked about it. You know, this is something that the studios are not going to be happy about because you do have to consider fair use well, when you're issuing a takedown request. And I think, as you correctly noted, that they somehow carved out an exception for these automatic systems like mm -hmm. Content ID, which I think... Doesn't really Content make ID sense, does isn't it? Relevant to this because that actually is outside the DMCA system. It is. It is outside the DMCA system. But and that, and how can they? The point range, yes. How can they at, at one point say that you have to consider fair use, but at the same time, kind of bless automated systems that don't? It's just kind of 
philosophically uh, Yeah, I guess what they're saying is the automated system has to have some kind of algorithm that considers fair use. Or, I mean, and of course, if you can find an algorithm that judges fair use, please email a copy of this algorithm to Jonathan at plagiarismtoday.com yeah. post-haste. Well, we're also, I would love to see this. We're, we're getting some weird AI here stuff because if the standards <laughs> is subjective belief, then it would... How do you, how do you, you know? <laughs> I didn't even think of that angle. Yeah. How does, a, how does an algorithm know in its head it's way fair use? Oh, my God. Steven Spielberg is going, hey, wait a minute. So, yeah. So, the, they they say that, and then they also say if a uh, DMCA takedown notice is issued, which totally neglects to consider fair use, they can be liable for damages. Yeah, and, th- and that's the thing. It's got to be like this total neglect. Because they've made it very clear this analysis doesn't have to be detailed, in-depth, accurate, correct, anything. It just has to be there. It's a very odd thing to require because, you know, in this very same opinion, they're like, well, we can't really rule as a matter of law on that issue. You have to bring evidence, and bringing evidence of somebody not doing something is, uh, as uh, as we've discussed before yes, pretty Evan, impossible. I, I challenge you to bring evidence that I have not been to the moon. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> a little a little tricky. Uh, a few other quick points of law. It did say that there's no need to show monetary loss from this copyright misrepresentation. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, most law students learn that every lawsuit needs a show of damages, but apparently that, you know, that's not the case here for the misrepresentation. Yeah, you don't have to show a monetary as- loss uh, as, as a... Uh, as evidence of damages. But unfortunately, that means she only qualifies for nominal damages, right. which are, as we know, not much, typically. No. And typically not worth, like, you know, eight years of litigation. So, to that point of uh, whether this was fair use or not, uh, as this moves towards trial, because that's basically where they are, they, they denied cross motions for summary judgment at the district court level, and that was affirmed, so this might move towards trial if uh, this opinion doesn't get appealed to the Supreme Court. The evidence was as follows. The employee guidelines that they gave to the individuals who were issuing these takedown requests did not include fair use explicitly. So that's one you know, piece of evidence that you could offer. Like, well, here's, here's our first point, is that you have ex- explicit instructions to these employees, and they don't mention fair use. So... You know, it becomes a little bit harder to argue that they did consider fair use. But their argument is the instructions included other tests, which were kind of tantamount to a fair use test. Right, and I looked at some of these other considerations, and I think there's a pretty reasonable argument against that because, you know, some of the points are that they were generally instructed to ignore songs with very little of the song or where it is distorted beyond reasonable recognition. Those don't really played a fair use to me. The first point being ignoring songs where they're not really being played very much. That seems like a de minimis copyright rule, which is where basically courts don't can don't really try to consider But then very again, this isn't, this isn't small sampling, though, and we're going to get into that in a bit, too, but, you know... Right, but if, if the... Yeah, uh, but I know what you're if saying. If it's two too. or three seconds, then ignore it. And they can't really use that to say that, oh, we look, look, this is a fair use consideration... Well, yeah, quantity is a part of the fair use consideration, but very little infringement is also just an issue where courts tend to throw cases out before even getting to fair use because it's de minimis and the court does not concern itself with trifles. So that's what I would argue. 
uh, on that point, you know, uh, and there's also this other point where uh, the mother asks the son, and this is more particular evidence of this of this trial. Uh, the mother asks the son, "Do you like this song?" And that made the employee conclude that the song was the focus of the video, and then sent the request. So, if the testimony of the individual actually sent the request was like, well, it seemed like, you know, this song was the focus of the video, and so I sent the request. That seems to me like he didn't consider fair use at all. He just kind of made the came to the conclusion that because it was the focus of the video, as in this this song is is is, is what the does that mean? I'm trying to figure out what it means to be the focus of the video. I'm sitting here with a blank look on my face for that reason. I mean, because I could say a review is the focus of a video. I mean, if I'm reviewing the song somehow, if I want to say that Prince's Let's Go Crazy is the worst song ever made and I play clips of it, I would have a pretty strong fair use argument, but it would also be the focus of the song, focus of the video. Right, but is that part of the fair use analysis? That's exactly. what I'm trying exactly to I'm ask, is yeah. that yeah. that's not one of the four factors, whether it's in the foreground or in the background, or whether it's loud or whether it's quiet. If He's not talking about the quantity of the song used. He's saying it's the focus of the video. He's looking at the video and then putting the song in the context of the video. That's not really part of the fair use analysis. So I think the evidence here kind of is, isn't great for the uh, argument that it was uh, in consideration and that was a subjective good faith consideration of, good fa- of fair use. I guess we'll see what uh, comes of this, but I mean... And what's interesting about it is, this is kind of an extreme case. I think everyone has to admit that. You know, we're not seeing too many DMCA notices like this, especially on YouTube now, where Content ID handles like 98% of this type of stuff. And it all takes place outside of the DMCA system. Right. Content ID is just a private system, so there's no DMCA. It's it's administered by YouTube's TOS, not like (laughs) copyright law known to man. Exactly. So basically, you you think copyright law is confusing? Try the YouTube terms of service sometime, buddy. <laughs> good luck with that. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it it is bizarre, and I think it's what's going to be interesting, and what I'm kind of waiting to see here is a if universe if Lens rather is able to show that there was no subjective. The burden proof is on Lens here. There was no subjective, you know, fair use analysis here. That these tests that you just talked about do not amount to that. If they're able to win, and then if they do win, what kind of damages they actually receive? Well, I don't think that's the point of this case. I mean, we both know that's not the point of this case. Okay, and here's the reason I think that is the point of the case to a degree. Because let's say Lens goes through all of this and wins, like, the previous ruling we had in 2013 at the district court level, which said that Lens would only be eligible for the legal, uh, for the attorney's fees that she incurred up to the lawsuit, meaning basically get the help getting the video back online, and the nominal damages. Right. If she only qualifies for that, they'll have litigated an eight-year case and only received very, very small damages comparatively. Yeah, but I don't think this case was ever about the individual damages. Sure, they wanted uh, but as high as possible as a future deterrence and, and for issuing uh, bad faith DMCA takedown requests, but... If they get the rule that they have to consider it, that's a big... But here's the thing, and you and I both know that the EFF can't represent everyone who is wronged with a fake with a false takedown. But And for anyone else to follow this path, the amount they're going... You know what I mean? There has to be an amount that justifies sure. the infringement. But the, the, the next lawsuit. plaintiff, John, may have damages. 
Okay. That's what that's what I think my point here is that that's not a risk I think as an institution you want to make is that as a policy to never consider fair use because you can't imagine a scenario at okay. this point in time where a plaintiff would suffer damages and I mean off the top of my head I can, you know. Yeah, I can uh, imagine a few, but the, the the truth of the matter is in most cases involving a false takedown there are no actual probably damages. Probably not. You're that you're 100% right. I would say in over 99% of the cases involving false takedowns. And it was very interesting, in my opinion, that when drafting 512F, there was no mention of statutory damages, which is how the copyright law itself handles this issue of a lot of infringements. There's no actual damages. There's this idea of statutory damages. Right. So I I think without statutory damages backing this up, there's not going to be real teeth in this for 99% of the false DMCA cases. 99 plus percent. Now, yes, the thing is, and where it may actually have benefit, is it will cause some copyright holders to change their practices slightly, at least pay lip service to <coughs> fair use. Now, of course, they said you can't just pay lip service to fair use, but, you know, that's, once again, when you're dealing with a subjective good faith standard, that's awfully tough to prevent. That's fair. I, I think, I don't think there'll be many of these cases moving forward. I think no, this was I a big either. deal in 2007, but as it's resolve now the point that you made in that article or that tweet i don't know if you ended up writing a whole or a piece about it is that it's content ideas where you know most take most most content is taken down these days yeah and that's on youtube and yeah that's kind of the nature of the law here is we're seeing litigation that's eight years behind the technology and but that's both in terms of what YouTube is doing and what copyright holders are doing. The copyright detection and DMCA systems are much more advanced than they were in 2007. You don't have just some um, guy sitting there with a, a checklist of items. Yep, that looks good and filing it. It's much more robust today than it was eight years ago. But still, at the same time, it does provide some guidance. And I think the guidance from this case is overall sound. And I do hope. Any copyright holder going, well, we're screwed now. we got to rethink what they're doing. You know what I mean? It doesn't, like, for me, it has no impact on me and what I do because I've always considered fair use. I've never not. So I, This is a very unique situation. Yeah. You know, this was a symbolic case, and for anyone in their right mind to get into litigation because they believe that the other party did not consider fair use before issuing a DMCA takedown request is out of their mind. Yeah. I, I cannot think of a plausible situation where that would be worth the effort other than the EFF taking a symbolic case on. Uh, I, I think that's well put. I think this is a symbolic case largely that will not have a tremendous amount of on the ground impact over the next you know few years. But hopefully, like I said, some people will rethink their practices. If there's anyone out there that is worried, they they need to make some changes. Yeah, there may this be. Might uh, be the, this might be the this might be the the, uh, the 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 prompting. There may be a memo yeah, that goes out. Okay, we're talking on fair use to the list of stuff to think about before you file these notices, type thing. Yeah, it's it's it to me nearly every notice I filed clearly has no fair use. We're dealing with straightforward piracy. We're dealing with revenge pornography. You know what I mean? We're dealing with easy stuff. I got you. Fair use doesn't even play into it, but I still factor it in, and I have rules that prevent it. Yeah, I can't. I can't possibly imagine a uh, fair use consideration in that type of situation. Yeah, I can't either. So in my my position, it's not a huge thing, but if you are someone who's been filing DMCA takedown notices without regard for fair use, yes, take this opportunity to 
slap yourself in the face and do something different, please. All right, well, let's move on to the next story yeah. here. Share Beast. Uh, Share Beast. I've got to say, I, I'd heard of the site, but I guess I had no idea how large it was. You know I, I, mean? I think we're both pretty out of the loop when it comes to this stuff because it'd be yeah. pretty hypocritical of either one of us to well, be and, But I, I using... do get reports and file takedown notices on pirated content. So I do see a lot of these sites and I do run across them. Like, you know, I know... You know, most of the major file hosting sites. I've done a few. I think I've got a few with ShareBeast, but not like a crazy amount. But apparently, according to this article, it was the largest U.S.-based file sharing service. Yeah, and it seems pretty gigantic too. Yeah, no. From what I read about it, seems legitimately gigantic, except for the fact that it's now gone. It is now. The Department of Justice uh, seized it, shuttered it. And they really need a graphic designer to redo their damned this site has been seized logo. That thing looks terrible. I find it pretty intimidating, though. It's intimidating, but look at the margins around that text. I mean, good God, <coughs> a little white space wouldn't kill you either, you know? Um, then, then I can barely read the FBI logo. <laughs> fair, fair point, John. Yes, that's me. I'm, I, you know, originally before I was anything, I was a graphic designer. So at some level, every once in a while, it seeps out of my pores. Well, um, and what's with that typography? What fun is that? Here, we we only tackle the important issues here at the Copyright Two Point Show. The, the the typography of the uh, site seizure notice. I only hear this conversation here. But yes, they they seized the site. They shut it down and. It appears to not have reemerged as of yet, is my understanding. Unless you have some news I have not heard. I have not heard that they have reemerged. You know, I'm sure next week we'll be talking about. Oh yeah, that's the next week. Sharebeast.vx. You know, the latest place to hide or SE your SE or whatever. You know, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, apparently it was the largest uh, file, U.S.-based file sharing service. Which a there's a U.S.-based file sharing service that seems kind of dumb um but they also apparently were they they gained some notoriety recently for leaking apparently a kanye west album before it debuted and they were the primary source for that leak so that is the kind of thing that could get you some traffic he's very popular well that's the thing about these types of sites is you have it's like icarus you know what i mean you can't fly too low because you don't have any traffic and no one um, pays attention to you and you don't have any profit and you can't fly too high because the minute you leak a Kanye West album, the DOJ is on your butt. Yeah, uh, you ever see the Adam Sandler movie? Uh, uh, it's like the only good movie he's done in the last five years where he plays a chef. Not ringing any bells. I, I think you it's lost called me with Adam Sandler good movie in the last I think it's five called years. Sp- huh? Spanglish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one, Tom, but that's what... Everyone seems to say about it. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've not seen it. Yeah, it's a good movie, and and, and he's uh, very upset about his restaurant getting all four stars out of four stars, and he was really going for three stars, and he makes a very similar analogy about uh, getting to that sweet spot of successful but not too successful. Yeah, and it's true, though, for these types of sites, because if you become really successful, unless you're like the Pirate Bay and you have crazy amounts of resilience... This is how it ends. You know, the Pirate Bay is the, kind of the exception that proves the rule a little bit. I mean, Mega Upload got shuttered. Most sites, once they get to a certain size, they become targets. When they become targets, they eventually go down. And that's what happened here. Apparently, though, um, 
The DOJ noted here that the RAAA reported over 100,000-plus infringing files on the site without satisfaction. So, well, wow. Well, that brings that's, that's us to the uh, Oregon and Oracle fight. Yeah, this is entertaining. I got a very interesting story. Barely, ba- barely being able to pronounce the litigants back to back. You know, well, it's Oregon stems... and Oracle, Oregon and Oracle, Oregon. <laughs> Eventually, you derail. It's like a tongue twister. But yeah, it, it's a very interesting case. So lead us in. <laughs> it uh, it stems from the failure of the Oregon Health Insurance Exchange, which, if you watch John Oliver's show, you know a fair amount about. He actually did a bit about it. Well, uh, in order to set up this uh, health ins- health insurance exchange website, that's a bit of a yeah, mouthful. They, uh, they set up they, they set up a corporation. You know, uh, wrote wrote a number of contracts with various programmers, et cetera, et cetera. The site didn't work. It was a complete disaster. Uh, and didn't they or- spend like two hundred fifty million dollars or some crazy amount on getting a site working? It was something like something like that. A pretty pretty scary, scarily large amount. So uh, once everything was falling apart, the corporation that was formed by the state was disbanded. Oregon took the code from the site and basically shifted all of this intellectual property to a state agency. Or they, they basically took the code and, and shifted it to the state agency and started running it from the state agency. And they had all these contracts that were still not completed. A lot of payments weren't made, for example, to Oregon, who was one of the contractors. And so once they shifted all of this IP over and the payments were never made, Oracle was like, hey, you haven't paid us. You're using our code. This is our intellectual property. You've breached our contract as well. We're going to sue you in copyright because you've basically stolen our, our IP. You have not completed the terms of the contract. You do not have the license to use the code. The license goes with the completion and the payment. That's right. Simple. (laughs) And what's weird about this case is under the U.S. Constitution, states are pretty much immune to litigation in federal court. So what they've... That's right. But at the same time, there's also something called the uh, contract clause. It's a doctrine that basically says that uh, from Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1, it prohibits laws that retroactively impair contract rights. And that applies to only laws that are passed by state legislatures. Now, it's not an absolute doctrine. Certain conditions allow it. For example, uh, in the Great Depression, states tried to stop foreclosures. And they were allowed to do that because, you know... We can't have 80 million new people all of a sudden. Exactly. (laughs) However... You know, when the modification is of a contract between a government entity and a private institution, there's a very high level of scrutiny. You really can't do that. Yeah. And so I suspect that Oracle will get their their money. It's a bit like, it feels to me like Oracle is playing the world's cheesiest game of freeze tag. Because, think about it, they had this corporation which was separate and theoretically would have been completely suable. There's no issue at all here with the Constitution. You mean Oregon? You said Oracle. Oregon, rather. Oregon had this corporation which is completely... See what I mean by this naming? It's tough. Oregon had this corporation which was completely separate from the state. No constitutional issues. It dissolves. All the um, contract, all that stuff goes to the state agencies. And now it's like, 
can't touch us, you know, we're on base, home base, can't touch us, nope. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like trying odd. to play tag with a bunch of eight-year-olds, and it's not going to work. I don't think. I, I don't really believe there's any reasonable person is going to look at this and go, "Yeah, that's how the law is supposed to work." You can totally get out of paying your contracts and copyright infringement if you're a state. You know? Yeah, yeah, tell you how it works. It's not how it works. But yeah, it, it's. And it, it, once again, I, I suspect, as I often say, ninety percent of litigation is 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 negotiation and this is all about trying to negotiate a settlement with Oracle that they hope will not break the bank so because they've already lost so much on this site <laughs> yeah oh they screwed it up and oh, I was actually this is true I was listening to a podcast the other day about how um state governments and federal governments how they blow incredible amounts of money trying to build websites that ultimately fail the U.S. Copyright Office did it. DMVs all over the country have done it, you know. And you got to love it. Here in Louisiana, we just gave up, and basically we have private DMVs now. Hmm. We just said, screw it here. Have access to the DMV computer. Here's your requirements. Go set up DMV shops. Have fun. And how's that working? Actually, very well. Great customer service. It's a little more expensive to get a license, but you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> if it gets me in and out of the DMV in 10 minutes, I'll take it. Okay. So it, it actually works out pretty well from my perspective. Um, cool. But I guess we'll see how the state feels about it in a few years. That brings uh, us to the new girl copyright suit. Yeah, and this one is a, a, a bizarre case. We hear all the time about these um, cases where someone claims something that was popular was originally their idea. And 99 times out of 100, they get shot down in embarrassing court. And yes, this is one of the 99 out of 100, basically, is what it comes down to. Um, but we've, an author, yeah. we've talked about this case in the past, and I remember remarking that the script was remarkably similar to yeah. uh, the New Girl show, but which I have not actually this, seen. We, it's, it's a good show. I like it. I'm a fan. It's bad because I'm actually, you know, I I I, I like Zoe um, a lot. I've seen her in other things, and she's fabulous. Like her. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, she's. But I've not actually seen New Girl. I I I, I am I am lacking. But yes, the um, yeah, the case with this one though involved a novel called a um, No Strings Attached was the original f- book. No, 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 No Strings Attached was the, is is the film is, is the film. Sorry, is, the that, film that's that's kind of a tangent here, basically. Yeah. Uh, the latest developments. Sorry, are... I, I, I I highlighted the wrong part yeah. of the document. Okay, so when we started the uh, at go at ahead, the, yeah, the, please the talk was that basically well, I re- the the claim. Here was that uh, the scripts, which resembled New Girl, ended up in the hands of one of the agencies, which became the agency that sold this script to Fox. So that this was widely circulated, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the original script for hers, and then eventually New Girl was made, and she was never paid any money. And so she's like, you know, what the what the hell just happened? And I'm just realizing my problem is I actually confused this story with another one that's very similar that didn't make it into the show notes. I just completely got my two stories about TV shows being based upon something else backwards in my head. I apologize. Uh, don't Go worry no, about it. So, it. so the latest claim was... Uh, the, this is the latest response from Fox to a claim that the eventual show writer had in the past been forced to share credit with a co-writer because that person had allegedly 
uh, forced her into an arbitration because she didn't give credit for that film that you had mentioned, um, yeah, no, no strings, strings attached. attached. Uh, and they were basically trying to sully her reputation yeah. before the court, saying that this person has stolen before, she'll steal, she'll steal again. She did not uh, write this. Plays the character, one might say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the idea, basically the idea was that this person has done exactly this before, she did it to me, and we just want the same thing, the same recourse for us. But instead of, in, their, in the first case, it was supposedly um, arbitration through the Writers Guild, here it is in court. And Right, and this claim was basically lambasted by, by Fox's people who are saying that yeah, you know, she co-wrote it. The, the script has both uh, individuals as writers, but you have absolutely no proof that there was ever even an arbitration. Yeah. You know, it, it becomes a he said, she said situation because the guild wouldn't comment on there ever being an arbitration. Which they would not. Which, they, which they would not. And so, you know, maybe there was one, but that doesn't matter before a court. You can't just say that someone was forced to give credit because they had tried to steal, uh, you know, all of the credit for writing a script for themselves without any evidence to back that up. And that's basically what they're saying here, is that there's no evidence to back that, that claim up. This yeah. arbitration never happened. You have no evidence of it. Uh, and, you know, go away, because we're claiming independent creation of this script. And, you know, this this is a really important point to this case. Is, you know, they're pretty similar, the stories. And the way to get around that is they have to claim that this was independently created. And in yeah. order to combat that claim you're gonna have to say no that there was access to this and access is a huge part of the uh infringement via reproduction uh it's a huge part of your case you have to actually show that someone had access to the script in order to show that it was reproduced you know in some parts of the country you can show just virtual similarity and therefore you don't need access but you know the scripts aren't similar enough that you, that would stand alone that that would stand alone you do need access and so yeah. Uh, they really, really want to show that. And, yeah, I mean, uh, and like I said, there are cases where you don't have to prove access. Like, for example, if it had been just a complete verbatim plagiarism word for word, where there's no way it could have existed without access. Because, you know, monkeys and typewriters and Shakespeare and all that, I guess it's possible the two people could create the exact same script, but it's highly, highly unlikely. So there are situations where access isn't that important, but this would be one case where it is. It'd be very 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 important yeah and uh, in the meantime this is just the dirt throwing that happens back and forth yeah but while this, you gotta admit this has gotten un somewhat unusually dirty for these types of cases i mean almost a personal attack yeah i agree i don't know what it's really gonna do achieve yeah you know i don't think the judge is gonna look at this and and really use it you know there's a reason why they don't really allow reputation evidence in criminal proceedings you know it has limited probative value in most cases agreed and so uh this uh i don't know what this woman is really gaining uh by alleging that she's done it before without any evidence of that you know it's one thing if you can at least prove it yeah uh but alleged but uh i think they probably did not and, and the suspect. problem is even if there is even if it did happen, Even if there did, will be no evidence. There will be no evidence, right. Because it was a private arbitration. The WGA is, unless you're going to go through all the headache of subpoenaing, and, and which isn't going to happen because it's not relevant to the case, no judge is going to grant that. 
No, I don't think so either. Unless you hack into their systems, at which point you raise a whole <coughs> set of other legal problems. <laughs> you know, I'm not actually advising hacking. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, there, there's really no way. Well, Playboy. Yeah. Uh, Azalea Banks apparently posed for Playboy, and the photographer granted exclusive um, rights to Playboy for that exclusive rights one requires to file is a that, lawsuit. Is that Iggy Azalea? Is that her real name? Um, no, Azalea Banks. Who is, is that? Name. I have no, it's some. It's a rapper. I have no idea. Yeah, maybe. I have no idea. I I I really and truly don't. If this is the. the Oh yeah, Patrick, Iggy Azalea I need, I need is. Flash up the Patrick O'Keefe signal. We need Patrick here. Iggy Please Azalea's say... first name is Amethyst Amelia Kelly, like the wow. the, the ruby. I'm not think I'm pronouncing that co- correctly. Uh, Amethy- Amethyst, anyways. So uh, this apologize. is someone different. It is someone different, and so uh, yeah, they took the pictures and then put their own watermark on it, and then. Playboy was like, um, we have copyright registrations for these photos. We're suing yeah. you for intentional, willful copyright infringement, and we're well, going to ask for statutory damages. This is where things seem to get a little weird because, A, they don't seem to have registrations for all of the photos. I'm a bit confused by this, but it appears they don't have registrations for all the photos. For the photos that they do have registrations for, they're filing a lawsuit for just traditional, good old-fashioned copyright infringement. Uh, the $150,000 statutory damages, yada, yada, yada. But for the ones they don't have registrations for, they are filing um, for violation of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, where it's state where the Digital Millennium Copyright Act says you cannot modify or alter or tamper with copyright management information, or CMI, which is basically any information that's affixed to a work to identify when when it was copyrighted, who took the photo, who owns it, etc. Any information for identifying the copyright holder or that relevant to anyone that would be searching for copyright information about it, like maybe to license a work. And you can actually sue for that without a registration. It's explicitly something you can sue for without a copyright registration. So they are suing for that since, as you said, this site Media Takeout, a site I'm also not familiar with, um, added watermarks and added faults. I went to their uh, website, and they were, it seemed pretty second rate. T- you know, it TMZ. was ads everywhere. Not even like 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 a like a like a TMZ imitation with a horrible yeah. UI. That, that I had no idea who they were. It was like TMZ, but somehow worse. Somehow <laughs> worse. Oh man. Not a TMZ fan, if anyone couldn't tell. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a very bizarre lawsuit, and I, I really want to know why all of the images were not registered correctly. Because you would think an organization like Playboy would have this this nailed down. Uh, you know, maybe they sent in the first batch of pictures and never got the second one done. Or maybe done. they sent, submitted the magazine and the photos that weren't in the magazine. Yeah, maybe they didn't. didn't they didn't you know, submit the ones that were going to get published, something like that. But those ended up getting published online, and you know... Just, just It's a reminder, everyone, that while, yes, this CMI tort is there if you need it and if it's p- applicable, you still want to be able to sue for copyright infringement. Handle your registrations. Just do it. I hate it, too. I'm not a fan of the Copyright Office. I'm not a fan of that system that was down for a week. <sighs> Sorry. But still, you know, handle it. If you're in the U.S. and you ever want to sue for copyright infringement, just handle it. Agreed. EMI. This is this is an, this is an interesting approach. I wanted to talk a little bit about this. EMI 
has announced a new six-month amnesty uh, for anyone who sampled EMI music over, well, forever, basically, saying, if you've sampled music, sampled our music and not cleared it, you know, it's it's cool, it's cool, come to us, we'll establish a fair royalty for going forward, but all that stuff in the past, it's forgiven, no matter how long it was being used. Yeah, a really interesting step. Six-month amnesty, anyone can step forward, they'll license with you, current market race, you know, bygones are bygones, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm very interested, interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, and part of me is... And I guess part of me is a little bit suspicious of any noble action, because this seems to be a pretty noble action out of the blue, is that maybe they're planning a sampling litigation campaign after this ends. Like, we're, we got all these guys targeted, you know, we're giving them a chance. So that way when the, the lawsuit hits, they can go to the court and say, hey, we offered this amnesty period. We were more than fair in trying to resolve this. Right. Uh, that could be part of the tactics. It could also just be, you know, we want to bring everyone in and, and it, maybe this is the cheapest way to do it. Litigation is too expensive. Yeah. And so, it could just be that this is a way to sell more licenses for samples. It could be that simple. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting approach. And sampling in music has been an increasing subject for copyright litigation because technology to detect samples has improved drastically over the past, I'd say, you know, five years or so. And so we're seeing more and more um, lawsuits over sampling, including samples that are like, really, you can hear that? Someone <laughs> can detect that? I mean, it's like, let's go crazy in the, the video with a baby. Um, I'm not sure anyone ever heard that. Maybe my ears are terrible. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's, um, it's a six-month amnesty. If you used a EMI sample and you didn't clear it, now's your chance to clear your conscience and your legal risk. Godspeed. you got six months. Do you have anything to tell us, John? No, I unfortunately do not. I am not a musician. You're the musician. You're the one that uh -huh. we, should be, we should be looking at here. How many EMI tracks have you used, buddy? Probably a lot at karaoke, but... <laughs> Where do I have to email again? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Actually, that's, that's interesting. The article doesn't say where to go. <laughs> I guess it, go to EMI. EMI site, they'll point you the right way. Well... Getty Images, we kind of have a double whammy here of Getty Images. And we talked about sample detection. This first one is a major clue on the power of image detection and just how far it has come. Detected even small uses of images. Okay, in 2012, the magazine 2600, that's going to get confusing, um, didn't like this... Intra-office envelope. Anyone who's worked in a large office knows what the intra-office envelope mail looks like. <laughs> looks like this. The big yellow envelope with the uh, little stringy thingy that you can tie. Lots of little tabs to show which particular yeah. person this envelope is being used for today. Yes. And it's always interesting to track the history of one of those envelopes as it goes back and forth between the same two people forever in an office, I find. But in the very lower right-hand corner of it, it featured like an ink blot, like someone had spilled ink on it, which also happens to every intra-office envelope, spills and stains of every horrible sort. Um, Getty Images sent a letter to 2600 Magazine saying that they had detected that was from an image that they 
um, they held the rights to. And at first, 2600 was very confused by this because the image they pointed to is of a male model wearing what appears to be a very dapper-looking coat and standing in front of a, a very modern background featuring ink splotches. But they then learned, and after doing some comparison, that the lower right-hand corner of their magazine overlapped with the upper left-hand corner of the Getty Images photo in question. Yeah, so a corner of an ink splat, an ink splotch or a splatter or... I don't, ink blot? I don't was, know. Was, not, I'm not sure. All I know is it, um, is what apparently you're supposed to know something about your, your psyche upon what it looks like. Unfortunately, all I can think is it looks like, um, someone got shot. I actually the pattern of that splatter. Looks like a horrible accident involving blood. But anyways... Yeah, it's a corner of a corner, you know what I mean? It's it's such a small overlap, I can't possibly imagine, you know, any copyright issue here. Especially considering it wasn't actually Getty's image. I mean, <laughs> is an ink splotch copyrightable in the first place? Isn't I that... suppose if you did it creatively, maybe we should talk to Jackson Pollock and get him as a guest <laughs> yeah. on the show. Yeah, and is, is a quarter of that still... I, this is it's a very funny funny story it is it's very very bizarre i'm trying to figure out which one is more sad the splatter case or the penguin case yeah the one we're coming up to yeah but yeah basically according to um by the way it's not actually it's getty owned trunk archives is the actual site involved they own they're owned by getty images but yeah but apparently the background for the photo was taken from a uh a, a source on deviant art which which allows the photo to be reused so apparently it's just a case of mutual sourcing so you know it, it's not even really getty's rights here to um be threatening over this but still it's a sad case and that brings us to the, the socially uh, awkward penguin socially case. awkward penguin case this is the socially awkward lawsuit or a, yes. i mean it didn't go into a lawsuit but so what happened? Well, no, here, Tom? they paid. There's no lawsuit coming from this. They they settled up, but yeah, a um a German site apparently um a German blog <clears throat> was asked to pay about eight hundred and forty dollars of U.S. currency, the equivalent of eight hundred forty dollars, for using the socially awkward penguin meme. For those who don't know, it's the meme you use whenever you do something socially awkward basically you know like when you are staring at your phone at a party all the time or when you are completely in awe at how awesome um evan's karaoke is and you just you can't be in the room anymore Um, that's just normal that's just normal i I suppose it's not socially awkward but the point remains it, it turns out the socially awkward penguin is based upon a photograph of a penguin owned and licensed by Getty Images, taken by uh, George F. Mobley, I guess how you say his name. And so, yeah, they believe that the Socially Awkward Penguin meme is a copyright infringement of their photo. Okay. So, yeah. <sighs> I'm looking Analysis. at the photo now. It is a pretty exact reproduction it of, is, their, of their is. penguin. I have to admit that. So, I think we talked about Success Kid, and yes. the fireworks, uh, where a business tried to use a success kid on their packaging. Mm-hmm. And this is just another one of those stories is that 
even if you think everyone uses it on the internet and you see it on Reddit all the time, that does not mean there isn't somebody policing their intellectual property and reserving that police activity to when they can go after someone with pockets. And this is that situation. You know, they're not going to go after uh, people on Reddit using the meme. They're not going to send takedown requests. They're going to let it proliferate because you don't have to protect your copyright like you do have like you do have to enforce a trademark in order to keep it and so somebody owns this penguin and they're they're gonna ask you for money when you use it and you've got pockets yeah now one of the outcomes of this was somebody created a quote-unquote public domain version of the socially awkward and socially awesome penguin memes that you can use for free without any concern whatsoever and it's just a hand-drawn penguin obviously not based upon the photo in any way other than a somewhat similar pose, though I think this penguin's far more flexible than the real penguin, judging from his ability to get his foot up. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is one of those cases where it's like it, it seems like a commercial site wanted to be cool, wanted to be trendy, wanted to use the same meme all the cool kids are using on Reddit and Tumblr and whatever. And, like you said, this particular meme has a real photo behind it. And, like you, like you said, it, it's a very, very sharp resemblance. You can even see the, um, there's like, if you look closely toward the middle of the abdomen, the, where the black meets the white, there's like a white stripe in the black there. Yeah, see, thin. it's an exact reproduction of that image. It's so exact reproduction of the image. I don't... You know, I don't know if they ran a filter over it or anything, but it is a very exact reproduction of the image. Getty's got a point. Yep. It is a copyright infringement, but is this one that, you know, is really worth going after, especially since, you know, you get stories like these out there, people not particularly happy with you. Is this a you know, to build goodwill? I mean, no, it's it's we don't care about goodwill. We just want nine hundred dollars every single time someone does it, which seems pretty lucrative to me. You know, there seems to be this misconception that because everyone is using it, that means there's no copyright on it. Yeah, and that's just not true. And yeah, that's exactly what the people, the kids using Napster thought. Exactly, everyone's doing. It. There's no copyright on any of this. Oops. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you take an image, you have a copyright over that image, and when that image is reproduced exactly, then you likely, you know, you've got a reproduction issue. And so, um, the one, the only question I have is, and this, I, I mean, I'm not trying to cast blame here on Getty, but this meme has been in use for a long time, many years, exactly as it is. Why, yeah, and I, and I know Getty has been able to track this image. Why are they only starting now to enforce commercial uses of it? I mean, I'm well, wondering what changed and what shifted. I mean, it's not their obligation. I'm just no, I don't think anything changed. changed. I mean, we don't know if it's being used in a commercial context by blogs and by um, by businesses. You know, uh, when have they not enforced it? You know, people are going to put it on Imgur. And use it, and then they can issue a DMCA takedown request of, of uh, on Imgur, but they're not going to go after, you know, they're not going to get a subpoena request for somebody making a meme on Reddit. It's when, you know, a blog uses it, a business uses it. It obviously was a pretty serious blog, not just anything. Uh, it's when, you know, you try to use it as your packaging, like the Success Kid uh, firework company tried to do. Well, It's almost like a, like a yeah. trapdoor spider situation. Yeah. They, they took it a little bit too far, is what you're saying. A little bit too commercial of a use. Interesting. 
But it's still, I mean, I'm looking at a quick meme right now, one of the big sites for producing memes. They are a commercial site, and they have the exact meme there. I mean, are they next? They should probably be checking that out and maybe, you know, removing the meme. Yeah, well, that's another point as to, you know, quick meme sites that actually let other people create new ones. I mean, there could be a licensing situation that we just don't know about. That's true, too. Still, it's a very interesting case, but um, yeah, just a reminder that Socially Awkward Penguin actually has an owner. Socially Awkward Penguin has an owner, and on that note, we're done. I think think we're done. All right. You you got anything else? Any final thoughts other than Socially Awkward Penguin's not an orphan anymore? He has a daddy. It does. Socially Awkward Penguin is no longer an orphan work. Um, Do I have any final thoughts? I would have to say I'm excited to watch Donald Trump tonight. Oh, I, I, kind I, of, yeah, I kind of do not fun know stuff. if I'll be watching, but I know a lot of people are very, my light just died, I know a lot of people are very excited about watching Trump, um, even if they're not going to vote for him, they enjoy watching him, <laughs> you know? That's my feelings, I mean, I, I'm not going to vote for anyone, obviously, because I'm Canadian and that would be a felony. Well, that was, <laughs> it's a bit like the time I was recruited to join the UK Naval Reserve, um, reasonably sure that's not legal, I'm just throwing that out, reasonably sure. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, um, it's, it's interesting and I will probably at least be checking out the highlight reel later. All right. Well, on that note, everyone, my name is Jonathan Bailey. I am from the website Plagiarism Today, which can be found at plagiarismtoday.com and find me at username Plagiarism Today on all the things. Uh, my name is Evan Sherris. Find me on Twitter at Evan Sherris. Send me an email, esherris at gmail.com. And John? Well, on that note, everyone, thank you very much for joining us, and we will see and speak to you guys next week. We would like to give a very special thank you to Pit X for contributing the copyright 2.0 show theme song entitled Me Boo. It is available under the Creative Commons by Attribution License and can be found at ccmixter.org by searching for the word Me Boo. Thank you very much, Pit X. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.